It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That creed starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits is not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself through the world, but there's no need to be your own head. Speed it up and I've seen that no need to let her put the clatter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, but the city's gang and the government for hire in a combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury beat it down your neck. But the reporter's got to jump get the problem with that low plane Fine then, up for overflow, five minutes in corners But it'll leave you see the devil, save the devil world And you know me, see your heart Tell me that the river in the river was the right You patriotic, patriotic, plan my right My feeling is pretty It's the end of the world as we know it Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the end of the world as we know it. No, this isn't. This is the hour of doom. No, no, no. It's the hour of bloom. Oh. Well, maybe it's both. Maybe it's both. The hour of doom and And bloom. Wow. (laughs) Welcome to the doom and bloom survival medicine hour, a night of normality in a very, very naughty, naughty world. (laughs) I'm Joel MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 800, count them, 800, actually count them, 818, posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. What are you? Are you a codger with a calling? I'm a fossil with a fixation, and that's to keep you and your family safe in any disaster and put a medically prepared person in every family. Well, super good luck. You know what? I'll be your bat. I'll be your Robin to your Batman. How's but, that? But who are you other than Robin? <laughs> I cannot tell my secret. No, actually, I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And indeed, she is the hostess with the mostess on the Survival Medicine Hour. Together, we are the Watchers on the Wall. <laughs> Game of Thrones reference there. Oh, it's on That's tonight. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors. Yes. Have you been injured in an accident? With a salacious salamander, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to please seek modern and standard medical care Whenever and wherever it is available. Please, please, please. That's right. That's right. Seek modern and standard medical care. In other words, don't listen to us. (laughs) Only in times times of of trouble. True True trouble. True survival. There you go. But you know what? If you do listen, you might just find a pearl of wisdom in the oyster that is the survival medicine. That's true. That's right. Hey, speaking of pearls of wisdom, I'll bet that you have one you've been hiding from us. It's time to share it with the rest of the... 
clams or the class, I mean. And Please. That's right, because we, you know what? We confess it. We learn as much from you as you do from us. So send us a note. It's easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. You can email us anytime at dr, that stands for doctor, drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Have a couple of Facebook pages, Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. And we also have a personal Facebook page. Feel free to like that. That's where everything has to come from because you cannot post anything on Facebook without a personal page. Ah, and that is Joe, Joe Alton, Alton, MD. That's right. Don't forget the MD. He is a licensed, <laughs> truly licensed. Actively licensed That's Florida right. physician. You we can keep up, look it up. Keep up on all our CEUs. Right. And I am an actively licensed, advanced registered nurse practitioner in the state of Florida. With and, the dual license of the certified nurse. And the way. hostess with the most. Thank Don't you. Let's see. What, okay. We got Twitter at Prepper Show. We have our YouTube channel. And we do try to put up YouTube videos as much as possible. That is DR Bones and Nurse Amy. And it's actually not an and, just Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. And we have a video cast, which occasionally has technical dif- difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> True. However, 99.9% of the time, we have a video cast at AroundTheCabin.com on the first and third Wednesdays of every month at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have a new adventure and a new website to share. That is... AmericanSurvivalRadio.com, and our show would be... American Survival Radio. Well, do you think they guessed? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope you'll listen to that one. That is also very interesting, and also comes out around the same time of the week. So check it out. Go to GCNlive.com, and you'll find it. You can find it there. Or also, folks, I made it super easy. For the untech savvy like myself, I have an RSS feed, which means... If you go on doomandbloom.net, scroll down on the right side, you can find this show and American Survival Radio in a link to click on, and a player will pop up, and you'll be able to hear the show easily. Wow. Well, you know, we're in the midst of doing a lot of traveling. We've been to (laughs) Western North Carolina. We've been to Richmond, Virginia. We've been to Dallas, Texas. Now we're home for just a weekend, and then we're heading off all the way to the west coast of Oregon, or as they say it, Oregon, Oregon. That's right like for that. the Mother Earth <laughs> try, News Fair. Folks. That's right, you, you did a very good I, job. Oregon, Oregon. That's right, and we're going to not only take in the tidal pools and take in the beautiful oh, yeah. waterfalls along the Columbia River. We are going to. Oh wait, and there was also um, a really beautiful. What's that called? Waterfall? No. Yes, the waterfalls. <laughs> but that's not actually what I was thinking of. The lighthouses. The lighthouses. Lots yes, of on nice the lighthouses. other side. Yeah, there's waterfalls on the east side of Portland. And then the tide pools are on the coast, which is on the west side of Portland. I know. Just beauty, beautiful everywhere you go over there. So I, we're really looking forward to that. We're going to meet a lot of great Oregonians there, and we're actually going to teach a suture class that's not related to the Mother Earth News Fair. They were a little queasy about our doing that. (laughs) So we're going to have a a small suture class just for a few people, and we're going to... um, well, where are we going to... Did we put up the uh, information for the class? Okay, tell us about it. Yes, absolutely. It's in Corvallis, which is where our good friend Dave Duffy lives, who runs Backwoods Home Magazine. In fact, he's got a new magazine, Self-Reliance. That's right. And you've 
Did you realize we got the first issue yesterday? I know, I know. It looks Isn't great. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I hope That's to. really yeah. neat. And I think you're contributing to the next yeah, one Yeah, looking also. forward to contributing, yeah. So anyway, um, as I was saying about the Sutra class, Corvallis in Oregon, and it will be Friday. We're going to do it Friday evening. The Mother Earth News Fair is Saturday and Sunday, and actually you're going to be speaking... On Homestead think, Medicine. Right. But I'm trying to think of the day. I think it's Saturday. Anyway, okay. folks, it's on the speaking schedule. It's up on their website. You'll be able to find it. You'll be able to find this at a booth near the bookstore. And um, the Sutra class is Friday evening from 5 to 8. I figured we'd give people time to get off work. Maybe they have to take off work a few minutes early. Um, I apologize for that. But apparently, it's a really nice hotel from what um, Mrs. Duffy said. Oh, well, that's pretty cool. Well, yes. I'm looking forward so to I'm it. Very, and we're, I guess she said we're going to wish we had stayed there. Yeah. Well, we're I just have to change my hotel reservations. We're making it a, a, <laughs> a pretty small class. So if you are in the Oregon, if you're in Oregon and uh, you are within driving distance of Corvallis, you want to learn a new skill, it's a, check it out. It's not just suturing, but it's also stapling wound and wound care. It's much more important to know how and, I mean, uh, when to close the wound. And when to leave and it when open. open. And what to do if you leave it open. That's right. Then just knowing how to throw a stitch. But you will know that. You'll know it so well that I'm going to try to take your <laughs> take your wound closure apart. And you cannot leave until I'm happy you're doing it right. He's and very you want to know something? But very you want to know something? You are going to do it right. So absolutely, come on down. And it's fun. Take our class. We have a lot of fun doing. I got to figure out where to get pigs' feet, though. Uh huh. Well, <laughs> I don't know if pigs' feet will... are popular in Oregon. Oregon, probably not. Not not at least. I'm thinking probably not. Loose pigs' feet are probably not popular with pigs either. <laughs> we, have, so. we have to have some pigs slaughtered for us or something. <laughs> I'm sorry, piggies. Now, in the news, the number of pregnant women in the United States reported to have the Zika virus has more than tripled, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This happened on Friday. It increased from 48 total to 157. Now, the important thing to know is that not one of these was a case that was transmitted by a mosquito in the United States. Oh, These good. are women that either traveled to the epidemic zone. Okay. Don't do that. I mean, that is actually a, a formal travel advisory for pregnant women not to travel you are, to that area. If you are tr even if you're trying to get pregnant, you could be pregnant without knowing it. And, you know, you can be pregnant before the pregnancy test tells you you're pregnant. Just don't go there if you're trying actively or if you are known to be pregnant. Please don't go. And the other thing is that it, this is a sexually transmittable disease. And so... A lot of women that didn't travel, but their husbands travel or their partners traveled to Central and South America, especially Brazil, right. may have given it to them, or at least has actually, in a few cases, absolutely proven that it was given, that it was actually given to them by their husbands. Now, that is a big concern because, again, if you're thinking about getting pregnant or if you are pregnant and your husband has recently traveled to this area, uh, what are you going to do? Tell tell folks what they can do. Well, the truth of the matter is what you need to be able to do is to put on a 
condom. Aha, that's right. Put on some prevention. Own, it's going to be your only only chance. Some protection folks. and prevention. Now, how long do they think Zika stays in the sperm, the male? Now, that the funny thing is that it stays in the blood only for about a week or so, but in the sperm it lasts at least two months. They've proven two months, three months. Probably more. I remember that with Ebola, they found out that the virus actually could stay in for six or seven months in the in the sperm of uh, the the male who has recovered from Ebola. Otherwise, has no no sign of it. So it's probably something similar with Zika virus. I'm, we're talking about Zika virus so much because we actually have just put out a book called the Zika Virus Handbook. It's first book. On Zika, written by an actual doctor, a doctor who early in his career took care of a lot of pregnant ladies. And this is something that I think everybody needs to know about as the warmer weather comes around. We, yeah, we have to keep everybody up to date. Regardless of the book, folks, this is so important to our survival. I mean, this, this is such a serious indication for not only pregnant women and their babies and what may happen to them, but also the effects on adults. They're showing more and more nervous that, system d- disorders. I mean, yeah. again, a majority of folks don't have any symptoms, so that but they could still transmit it. They don't have any symptoms, but some folks have serious neurological disorders. It's now not the problem, just babies. the problem with that is that pregnant women who don't have any symptoms, 80% of them won't, won't even know they have that it. they've and, gotten it. And until they have an ultrasound done, Ugh. they won't notice any change or unusual measurements so of the scary. baby's head. So, so as you know, Zika virus can cause microcephaly and some other birth defects that may affect mm. the baby's intellectual potential. Now, one other thing I wanted to say about uh-huh. Zika, Zika has bounced around so much that it has gone from Africa and Asia, where it started, right, to French Polynesia, yep, to took an South I- America. It took an island vacation right. for a while. Island vacation and went across the Pacific to uh, Brazil, probably via and, boats, right, <laughs> from Brazil to the, all the rest of South America, even um, and Central America, even the Caribbean. Puerto Rico has a lot of cases, and now it has been found again in Africa. So it's gone completely around the world, apparently. So this is something that is pretty amazing. The same strain of the disease, this is from the World Health Organization, Uh which is spreading through the Americas and is linked to all these disorders, has spread to the African nation of Cabo Verde, also called Cape Cape Verde. Cape Verde. Okay, so it started in Africa and Asia, traveled to the Polynesian islands where it affected people... Um, was it about 10 years ago, six or eight years ago? A few years ago. Yeah. Uh, And then it moved over to Brazil, which they didn't know really what was going on for a while and didn't realize that it was having these issues with babies. And now somehow it's traveled back. It's pretty amazing. Somebody or something carried it back. Right. Now, the funny thing is that the... The cases that are found, being found in Africa, now there are 7,500 African cases that have been found in, in the country of Cape Verde. Mm-hmm. Well, that appears to be the Asian strain. So it actually started in Asia and then went all the way around the world to Africa. Oh, wow. So it's pretty amazing. So anyhow, that is a pretty kooky thing. I don't know what that what to make out. I don't, how do you draw a map like that? I know, you can have really arrows hard. all over the place. That's right. 
That's right. I'm, Plus, there's and different I'll bet, strains. And I'll bet there are researchers in the CDC that are indeed looking at all this stuff yeah. and figuring out that, hmm, this is a little bit unusual. And so well, they, I'm sure they have maps with pins and all that stuff identifying where all these active cases are coming from. Absolutely. Well, viruses can mutate. They sure so can. So one strain can change into another one. We see that all the time with our flu virus. True. That happens. I mean, how many... H1s in eights do we have to go right. through? Bird flu is F5, <laughs> H5N1, H7N9. Right, exactly. And we have to keep adding numbers and letters because they they mutate and they change. So, I mean, I, I see that happening here. And who knows what it's going to look like if it really becomes an issue here. It could be completely different that's the scary thing it could be worse sure it could mutate it can do all sorts of other things as well now the one thing that is bothering me is that there's a there's a lot of politics that has infected zika well zika virus is getting infected by politics it was there for ebola also that's true yes i do remember It it was a big issue well what's happening now is that the various Factions in the government cannot agree on the exact amount of money that should be given to fund Zika p- control programs. Exactly. They asked for $1.9 mm-hmm. billion. Dollars. Let's just make sure you guys hear the billion. Mm-hmm. A lot of money. <laughs> then um, I think someone was something was signed for one point one, right? But somebody else wants to only do seven hundred million, right? The House wants to do about six to seven hundred million. The Senate was agreeable to one point one. How, White House said they could live with one point one, but not the seven hundred six hundred six or seven hundred right. million. Right, just not enough. And <clears throat> they actually want one point nine million. So there's a lot of infighting going on. And the thing is, it's getting warmer, folks. That means there are, are going to be mosquitoes. Oh, it is the, getting warmer. The CDC does say that there are going to be local cases, just a matter of time. So don't freak out. Don't panic about it. But, you know, have some mosquito repellent if you're going to be out in warm weather, especially when there are mosquitoes around. I know. Every time I see an Aedes mosquito with this little tiger stripes, mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, smash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, honey, I killed another one. Yay. Yeah. You've saved our lives. I, I hope. Oh. That's right. Goodness gracious. All right. So moving on. We've been traveling quite a bit. We're going to be heading out to Portland, Oregon, actually, very soon. But we just came back from Dallas, Texas, where we visited our good friend Jack Spierko, the famous podcaster, probably the granddaddy of all podcasters. I think he's got maybe 2,000 under his belt at this point. And his lovely wife, Dorothy, and their dogs, and about 150 ducks on their farm called Nine Mile Farm. And... We had an awesome time with them there. We want to thank them for their hospitality. And one of the things that we did during our time there was do a cross interview, which means that Jack interviewed me, I interviewed Jack, and you heard some of that on our last show. And now, for your listening pleasure, we have part two of our talk with our good friend Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast. Coming back around to my listeners' questions for this week, uh, we had one person ask about making decisions for first aid kits uh, between having like a highly mobile kit, something you can take with you, versus your vehicle kit, and what like how do we determine what the critical items are that we would always have with us if we're away from our vehicle, and what would maybe be some things we might keep 
in a vehicle because I don't know about you, but my, my truck carries a lot more weight than I do. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, you know? Exactly. You. Well, the truth of the matter is, is lightweight stuff is the most important thing for your IFAC. That's why we use things like uh, H&H compressed gauze dressings. These things fit into a little square that's like two by two or two by three. Yeah, and when you fold, but when you open it, it's four inches by twelve feet of gauze. Wow! And so this is an awesome, awesome item for your IFAC, and certainly uh, you can put a few of them without putting any additional weight on your pack. But your car is an—I mean, it is a vault. I mean, it's a bank vault where you can put stuff that's going to definitely increase your chances of survival. Things like wooden blankets. A woolen, a wooden blanket. Wooden blanket. Yeah, wooden blanket. Yeah, if you can I find tried one, that, yeah. it freaking hurt. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't comfortable at all. Woolen, woolen blanket. Wool itches, yes, but yes, wood is hard. Right. <laughs> woolen blankets. A lot, of, a lot of splinters. So woolen blankets are awesome. Think about what what they're useful for. Of course, they're they're good for winter car survival. You get stranded in your car, and you indeed, indeed will be very happy if you have some woolen blankets. How about if you're... Uh, in a fire, how about if you're in a wildfire? Wool actually is relatively fire resistant. Uh, by the way, don't wet. A lot of people think that it's good to have a wet woolen blanket in a fire. Don't do that. It conducts heat very well. You wind up burning Steaming yourself. yourself. Yeah. yeah, you'll wind up right, just like a lobster. Um, you can put spare sets of dry clothes, and there are going to be so many circumstances where you're going to be bugging out. In the rain, let's say, and if you can have extra, extra clothes in, in your pack or many extra clothes in your vehicle, then you're more likely to stay dry. If you're more likely to stay dry, you're more likely to stay alive and not sick. Um, let's see, uh, hand warmers, uh, you get more, you get to carry some tools with you. I mean, it's probably not. You probably don't want to carry a hammer with you unless you're Tyrese from uh, Walking Dead. <laughs> he, he did it. He was pretty handy with a hammer, but but that's awesome. You can also have you can also carry rope with you. It, you never know when you have to go places that that are going to require rope. There are just a lot lot of different things, and you can have and you can devote more space to your medical supplies too. I mean, we have medical supplies for the community medic on our store and it is a big pack and so unless you're with a group you can't really devote that space to just a pack for medical supplies yeah by the way get in a group <laughs> That's... yeah definitely <laughs> my kind of my approach to this is what, what people are always trying to do is figure out how they can like totally pack a bug out bag right with the, with their first aid kit with all of the gear that they're going to need and then be able to throw it on their back and go walking down the road okay I know we all watch TV. I know we all see a guy with, you know, an AK-47 in a pack survive for like two years against the zombies or whatever. Okay, but this is real life, mm -hmm. right? If you are, if you have left your vehicle behind, okay, that means something really, really, really has gone wrong. And the reality is, you will never be able to carry everything you need. You have to work with what you have. However, my vehicle kit is in a great big Ranger field bag. 
Okay. And it weighs a lot, right? Mm -hmm. a, a UTG Ranger field bag. It's huge. It's like a giant duffel bag. Plus, we have one of your hospital bags. And if we're going anywhere long term, we take that. And that's a, it's like the biggest one you have, right? Because you were nice enough to give it to us. Um, huh. And between those two, there's no way we can pick both of those up and go. But what we have there is the kitchen sink theory. We have everything we could possibly carry that makes sense that we could ever possibly need. If we do need to go mobile, then our smaller bug-out bags that are really, truly 72-hour kits, what we're able to do is go, is there anything in here we're not going to need? Exactly. And we can jettison that, and then we can say, in this larger kit, is there anything that particular, because of this situation, we're going to need? And we're able to modularly take that stuff out. For instance, if it's summertime, and I have to walk 12 miles to get back to civilization because my car broke down, and I have a great big parka, I'm not taking that. All right. Right? But I'm going to make more room for water. 12 miles, I can do 12 miles in a day, no problem. I don't need much food to go 12 miles. Exactly. But, and water's at 8 pounds, 8.3 pounds a gallon, yeah. so it sucks to carry it. But if it's 100 degrees out, I'm going to probably put a gallon of water in myself before I leave. I'm going to carry a couple gallons with me, and I'm going to get where I'm going. And if I know that the place I'm going to is absolutely, when I get there... Like, there's a ranger station 12 miles down the road. Once I get there, they're going to make a phone call for me. Somebody's going to come fix my car. I'm not worried about anything but basic preparedness for that 12-mile trip. I'm not worried about a lot of food. Right. I'm not worried about making campfires and stuff like that. I just need to, and if I know the distance of travel. Conversely, if I don't know where I am and I'm broke down and I don't know where a point of safety is, I'm looking at sheltering in place, and now I have everything I could possibly want with my vehicle. So it's all dependent on the situation, time of year, climate, situ how are you injured or not. Right. For example, in our area in Florida, we have water. You know, you can't really walk 50 feet without stepping in yeah. water. And so for us, let's say having a life straw, yeah. you know, Your the water certainly could be questionable. So, you know, we're pretty good with just just carrying a life straw. It's light, light uh compact and you know perfect for for even a small pack but the the fact of the matter is is that there is there are a lot of things that we would need over the course of time and so you might even consider i mean we have a specific plan of action of where exactly we would want to go mm -hmm. and so we have uh, actually put together this is going to sound weird to you but we have pvc pipe that uh you know wide pvc pipe that we you know capped at both ends we put a bunch of different things in it and we buried it or hid it in in sort of on the way no it know? doesn't sound crazy and to me off, at all. off the road it. off the road and on the way because yeah. we believe that whenever something happens the national guard's going to come in very pretty quick and close the road one of the great ways to do that by the way is instead of like just taking this tube and burying the ground What you do is you, you end cap the bottom with a PVC end cap with the cement. Mm -hmm, right. And then you put a fitting on the other end that uses a screw-in, uh, gasketed fitting that you can screw in. Mm -hmm. And then you take a, a post hole digger and you bury that thing vertically. And then you're able to just expose the top and all your gear down there, you basically put a rope to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And when and you, you need to get it. your gear out, you just pull it straight up out of the tube. And that's a lot more effective. The big thing with caches like that is you have to make damn sure that you can actually find them. Because yeah. sitting there going, well, that tree has a Y in it, and that tree has this, and it's right here, and I'll remember. No, you won't. Right. So you have to have ways to find your caches. But that actually makes a tremendous amount of sense. I don't think that's overkill. And 
it's something I can't say we haven't done um, <laughs> either. But let's kind of, I want to wrap the show up. We're, we're hitting about an hour of uh, talk here. You were telling me about something I didn't even know about, CRF food recall. Oh, yeah. This is a health issue. It's like a bunch of countries and all kinds of stuff that we need to know about, like not dying by the food we're eating. You know, I have to tell you that I'm concerned that we're having so many events of food contamination in this country. I mean, as you know, they closed on the West Coast a, a bunch of Chipotle restaurants mm -hmm. uh, due to an E. coli outbreak there. They And now, CRF Frozen Foods, which manufactures 350, well, it manufactures thousands of items, 358 of them under 42 different well-known brand names are being recalled due to bacterial contamination with something called Listeria, mono, Listeria monocytogenes. And this causes a diarrheal-type illness. It's thrown five people in the hospital, uh, no, seven people in the hospital already. It's killed two of them. And what's happening is that these foods, which are widespread in places like Safeway, in Costco, in uh, Trader Joe's, in, let's see, Food Lion. I'm, I'm looking at a bunch of other ones. Oh, and, Wal and of course, Walmart. Well, if it makes it, it's well, sold, it's in Walmart, right? And Walmart, right, exactly. So that would include Sam's Club as well. Exactly. And, and Europe, right, you would think. And this includes almost all frozen fruits, and vegetables. So I want you, if you buy your food from there, any of these places, I want you to look at the expiration dates, expiration dates between, um, I think, June 2016 and June 2018, that many of these lots have been recalled. You may already have them in your freezer, so I want you to take a look at it. It involves, so you, you, wait, carrot. I just want to say yeah. carrots, Broccoli, squash, peaches, raspberries, strawberries, blueberries, but it even goes to include things like planters, sunflower, sunflower seeds, things like that. So this is a big issue. The If you get a bad case of, uh, of listeria, your death rate's about 20%, interestingly enough, about what it is so far. Yeah. You know, with this, and we hope that... Uh, I think it, it was courageous of CRF Foods to to recall all of these items, but it really is something that needs to be done, and we need to make sure that our food is properly prepared. And so that, I think, is the main thing that what I want to get through with this is that your job, if you're going to be responsible med medically in times of trouble, that your responsibility is to make sure that the water The questionable water is sterilized, and that food is properly prepared, properly cooked. These are the ways that people wind up dying, and they're going to die more often from diarrheal diseases yeah. you mentioned yeah. and, and dehydration caused by it than from gunfights at the OK Corral. That, absolutely, and I mean, listeria is a serious illness. There's a lot of stuff that people can get foodborne that's not good, but, you know, your odds of dying are pretty low. Listeria is, in many cases, a lethal disease, and for people that don't die, it often has long-term consequences. Um, it's, it's, it's bad stuff. And listeria, yeah, and listeria grows best in the fridge. Yeah, and, I mean, that's just one of the concerns here. So, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, but if it was infecting something that was fully cooked to high temperatures, it, it dies like anything yes. else. But when it's in raspberries, I mean, who cooks a raspberry? Right. right? Exactly. I guess some people make pies or cobblers, but in general, 
stuff like frozen raspberries, frozen peaches, etc. What are people doing with those? They're either making desserts, using them, you know, defrosted, or they're popping them into the Vitamix and making their health shake. So you got a Listeria health shake. And Listeria is starting to worry me with the food companies because we just finally got Bluebell ice cream back here. Now, I know they don't have Bluebell ice cream. I, I know it was recalled, that was recalled right. a couple of years ago. But in Texas, saying the Bluebell ice cream's not in the store, that's like saying you're not allowed to go outside. I mean, it's, it's, it's a... I don't really care. I'm not an ice cream guy, but like for the people that eat ice cream, that's like a, a an institution yeah, here right. in Texas, right? And it was over a year, I think, that there was no Bluebell in the stores, and that was Listeria as well. And that's, you know, another thing, you don't cook ice cream. That's true. Or at least it's not ice cream after you cook it, right? So the important thing to know about all this stuff, and what I want your, your listeners to take away from this, is that make sure you rinse raw produce I mean, don't just, I mean, even apples or, or anything that, any type of fruit, remember that you have to rinse it and that in and of itself that if even if you peel something, if it's something with a rind, the yeah. truth of the matter is, is that if you're peeling the rind off, then you got the bacteria on your hands and then you're going to touch the fruit yeah. inside. And so it just because you has a rind does not mean that you are safe. So that's something that's very important. Well, that's an interesting thing, too, because people say, well, I, you know, I'm going to cut the watermelon. Well, then the knife goes through the rind and all through the flesh. Right, you know, exactly. It's another example. Yes. So wash before cutting. Um, I think we've kind of ran it out here, but I want to tell you I appreciate you being on the air with us today, Bones, and uh, it's been great having you here at the homestead. And uh, we're going to get this stuff uh, wrapped up and out to everybody. So if you're listening on either end of this, obviously, we, we've put this out on both of our podcasts uh, today. And I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. I don't know that we'll be doing this a lot because, unfortunately, <laughs> we don't get together that much. Right, but don't. it is kind of fun. And it, it's great to have somebody to actually you know, interact with on the show that uh, is switched on to this stuff. So thanks for being with us. Well, I am very glad that you have been on our show as well. This is sort of a strange collaboration yes, today. Is, and so if you listen to both Jack's podcasts and you're one of the three people that listen to our <laughs> podcast, then, you know, you're going to wind up hearing possibly a lot of the same stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that everything that we talked about today is actually worth hearing twice. So yeah. Jack, thank you so much for coming on the Survival Medicine Hour. We really appreciate it. And uh, we wish you the best I'll tell you, I envy you. You have an awesome setup here. Best regards to Charlie and Max. Okay, cool. And, uh, of course, remember, guys, you can send any questions for Doc Bones uh, for the expert council. And I need more questions because I've run out of questions. Uh, I'll be making up the new list for the expert council uh, this week to get out for the coming shows. And that was our good friend, Jack Spierko. We really appreciate our time with him and his lovely wife, Dorothy, their dogs, Charlie and Max, and their ducks, we had a terrific time, and we will hear from Jack in the future. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe Alton, MD, Dr. Bones, and Amy Alton, ARMP, the beautiful nurse Amy. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. And we're back with Survival Medicine. This is Joe Alton and Amy Alton, and we are discussing 
going to discuss dental issues. That's right. You know, many of our readers are surprised that we write about dental preparedness as well as <laughs> medical preparedness. There's just not that many dentists that actually do. So I guess it's sort of up to us to tell people a little bit about it. Indeed, I have to say that very few people who are otherwise, you would consider them very medically prepared, really seem, they don't seem to devote much time at all to becoming dentally prepared or to dental health, although that is a big issue. Poor dental health can cause cause medical problems Mm -hmm. that affect the work efficiency of members of your group in survival settings. And when your people aren't at 100% effectiveness, your chances for survival simply decrease, right? Simple as that. History tells us that problems with teeth take up a significant portion of the medic's time with their patients. In the Vietnam War, medical personnel noted that maybe up to half of those who reported to daily sick call came with dental issues. In a long-term survival situation, you can certainly find yourself as dentist as well as nurse and doctor, so it's important to have some basic knowledge of how to deal with some basic dental issues. Anyone who's had to perform a task, honestly, while they're dealing with a toothache, like they can certainly attest to the fact that the amount and quality of the work done is going to be suffering a little bit as a result of their just not being able to concentrate. They're concentrating on, man, this tooth hurts so much, I want to pull it out. My, I'd pull it out myself with my hands if I could. Now, if your teeth hurt badly, it's unlikely. You just can focus on other things. And if you can't focus on things, well, you are not at 100% efficiency and survival chances decrease. So it only makes sense. You have to learn some basic dental hygiene. You got to learn some procedures to keep your people at full work efficiency. Could easily be could easily be the difference between success and failure in a collapse. Now, a survival medic's philosophy should be that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. This thinking is especially appropriate when it comes to your teeth. By enforcing a regimen of good dental hygiene, you're going to save your loved ones a lot of pain and yourself a lot of headaches, believe me, as a medic. Let's talk a little bit about the anatomy of the tooth. The tooth is a relatively simple structure, for you know, considering it's such an important part of our body. The part of the tooth that you see above the gum line, we call that the crown. Below it, we call it the root. The uh, bony socket that the tooth lives in in the jaw is called the alveolus, the alveolus. Now, teeth are anchored to the alveolar bone and ligaments, just like you have ligaments holding together your knee or shoulder. Now, the tooth is composed of different materials. Enamel is the hard white external covering of the tooth crown. When you smile, that's what you're looking at, the enamel of your teeth. The dentin, the dentin is this bony pulpish Dentin is this bony yellowish material underneath the enamel and surrounding the pulp. The pulp is the connective tissue that has blood vessels, nerve endings that's in the central portion of the tooth. When this part dies and the nerve dies, the tooth dies. Simple as that. Now, most dental disease is caused by, as you can imagine, bacteria. Your mouth's chock full of it. So anything that decreases the amount of bacteria there is going to reduce the chances of developing dental disease. By ensuring good oral hygiene among your people, a medic can decrease their risk of visiting you at the survival dental office. Well, as you can imagine, daily brushing would be awesome, which is really essential if you're going to really have good hygiene. 
from a dental standpoint, but at one point or another, let's face it, you're going to run out of toothbrushes. So there are other things you can do. You can use uh, uh, just a little bit of cloth on your finger, wrap it around your finger, and rub it against your teeth, and you can sort of brush, quote-unquote, your teeth that way. That's an alternative. You can use just your finger with a little toothpaste, if you happen to have that, in a circular motion will work. Also, it will help massage the gums. You can use... Another way you can deal with this is by chewing on the end of a live twig until it gets all fibrous looking and use that to clean your teeth. Actually, it'll look a little bit like a toothbrush if you think about it. Any any live bendable twig is going to serve the purpose and you can use that to clean your teeth. Uh, Native Americans actually used a special tree called the black birch, also known as sweet birch, because it had apparently a mild minty taste so sure enough (laughs) there you go and now you can always um, make a supply of toothbrushes this way you can also even sharpen the end of the other side of the twig and use that as a toothpick well you know what's very interesting when you mentioned it might have even tasted sweet is i think all of us live with this belief that everyone before our modern times put up with horrible food and nasty water and awful conditions and didn't think about the taste of anything or or their health or anything whatsoever. And I think we have to understand that we haven't changed much um, for a while. That's right. And, um, you know, we're basically the same human beings we've been for quite a while. And and so, you know, when you taste something and it tastes good to you and you say, oh, this is really good. You know, human beings were doing the same thing hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. And so they were looking for things that taste good, too. That's right. Now we might make them feel better and help them stay a little healthier because there were usually communities they right. were somebody usually took the responsibility and passed information down from person to person about what was good what what herbal medicines work and how to take care of wounds as, as best they could just through sort of trial and error right. over the generations well let's see i tried that on um mr jones uh down the the dirt road there and uh, that didn't work so well for him so let's try something different oh this works so let me try this on the next person And trial and error, but they did look for things that tasted good. (laughs) It's it's amazing. You know, they they, really did. They they toughed it out, certainly, but they, whenever they could get a little bit of benefit, a little bit of comfort out of it, they certainly did. I mean, just uh, one more quick thing about herbal medicine is, you know, there are ancient texts written in stone on tablets that they found and, and very, very old paper that mention herbal remedies from long, long, long time ago. Egyptians used herbal medicine. That's true. They have a lot of it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to find that out. So anyway, I just want to mention that when you said, oh, it even tasted good. All right, well, speaking of tasting good, now the commercially made toothpaste that we have, that's obviously, if something really happens, that's going to go down the drain. Eventually, you're going to run out of that. Well, and, it has fluoride, too, so right. I don't know. And you're going to have to improvise, <laughs> so baking soda is an excellent alternative. It's inexpensive, less abrasive to dental enamel than manufactured silica-based toothpaste. And it's fluoride-free. That's right. That's right. <laughs> fluoride might be sometimes useful as a direct treatment to strengthen teeth and in children, perhaps, 
That's a direct treatment right on the tooth. And then rinsed off, right, folks. Right. But adults, honestly, really get very little benefit from it. Zero. There's, there's Not- a school of thought, and the school of thought is on my right here. I'm strong yes, about right. this. <laughs> that there no are- fluoride in our water. No fluoride in our water. Please. <laughs> well, there... Or our foods. And also, you know, it's in our medicines, too. It's in yes. a lot of medicines. Oh, it's in a lot of stuff. Oh, <sighs> what are you going to do? Well, and it the- comes out of our shower head and... Absorbs into our skin. I have filters, though, on our shower heads. That's and what that additional white oh, filter awesome. is. Oh, awesome. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> you're wondering I know, I what kind of contraption I put on. No, I've had it for years. I've had it for years. You just don't notice. Well, every time you eat a meal, and especially before going to bed, you should be encouraging your people to at least rinse their mouth. If they can't brush their teeth, at least rinse their mouth. With some warm water, maybe uh, warm salt water. Uh, if there's, if you have antibacterial rinses, that would be great. This will decrease. This will decrease inflammation in the gums. Mm-hmm. They'll get rid of foul breath and the risk of infection. All of this stuff is great. Of course, not a lot of people are going to be including mouth rinses as part of their survival storage. But this is a great way to prevent tooth issues. Honestly, an effective and inexpe- inexpensive option that you can consider is to use a solution made of equal parts water and 3% hydrogen peroxide. Awesome. That's Absolutely right. That's great, right. great stuff. I know you were talking about baking soda, but if you want to combine the two, you could dip your toothbrush in the hydrogen peroxide or pour a little hydrogen peroxide on your toothbrush if you don't want to do the opposite. And then dip it into the baking soda and use that to brush your teeth. That's right. Talk about a clean mouth. And shiny teeth. Now, I do want to say that 3% hydrogen peroxide is the highest concentration that should go in your mouth. There is 6% or 7% Ooh, hydrogen no. peroxide out there. Do not use it in your mouth. It'll burn the inside of it. And if you don't believe us, just take one drop. <laughs> one, No, no, no. Listen. One drop of hydrogen peroxide and just let it sit on the top of your hand, on your skin, and just wait a couple of minutes. You will feel it start to burn. It hurts, and you're going to wipe it off. So you got to be careful with hydrogen peroxide. It's not, it's not terribly friendly to our skin. Now, also, don't forget that if uh, flossing is something that people should do. I mean, in good times, and they should do it in bad times. It might be inconvenient for some people, but a lot of bacteria accumulate between your teeth, and flossing not only dislodges these germs, but it's also great for removing foreign objects like food particles from between teeth. What you can do is if you ever have a particle that's particularly hard to remove, just tie a knot in the floss. The floss is very, very cheap. You can get yards and yards of it for very little money. And so this is something you might consider Mm -hmm. putting in your medical storage as well. Absolutely. Now, of course, you want to have some instruments. And I think that the most important thing would be to have a full survival dental kit. Now, this is only for the people out there that believe that something may occur one Mm. day that may cause a long-term a long-term event. In other words, if, if, if there's going to be three days without power, you probably don't need no. a full dental <laughs> kit. Don't be yanking anyone's teeth out because right. it's been 24 hours without power. Exactly. <laughs> this is not a license nor an excuse to become a, a dentist. In normal times, <laughs> unless, unless you've you had go to, to dental use, school. Right, because you've had to use a flashlight for a couple of hours. Well, guys, I guess we're going to have to take everybody's teeth out. Nope, please don't do that. All right, well, here's some (laughs) of the stuff that we consider 
to be appropriate for your survival dental kit. Well, we just talked about uh, dental floss and, of course, toothbrushes. You know, you can MacGyver toothbrushes like Dr. Bones just discussed, but why should we have a bunch of them? You can get them fairly cheaply at Dollar Tree or one of those discount stores. Stock up on easily packed and they don't take up a lot of space, so get a lot of toothbrushes. Make sure you have some wax. Um, This might be good to help put a tooth back on. Again, if we're talking about a few hours, you can use a little bit of the dental wax. And if anyone had braces, they know what we're talking about. Um, It'll hold that tooth back in place until you can get to the dentist. A rubber bite. You can use a rubber eraser. Now, the reason you're using this is you're going to turn it sideways. If you've got to work on someone's mouth, you do not want them biting you. So this will help to keep the jaw open and make sure that you, the dentist, will not be hurt. Well, one thing I also want to say is that you should also not be putting your hands in people's mouths without a full set of gloves on. Absolutely. And a mask. I think a mask would be an awesome thing, too. (laughs) Um, cotton pellets, Q-tips, gauze sponges, these are all good to stop bleeding. The Q-tip will help you put on some clove oil if somebody has an irritation or um, some sort of pain in their mouth. Clove oil is really good for pain. The cotton pellets, you can actually soak the cotton pellet in a little bit of the clove oil and place that in the tooth cavity that's hurting. Again, if you're doing a temporary... Um, Uh, just trying to give them some antibiotics and get them feeling temporary relief, get some sleep. Maybe they'll be better in the morning. And you will not have to yank that tooth out, we hope, right? You want to have some temporary filling material. There are professional-made kits. But basically, those are based on two products. One is zinc oxide powder. So get some zinc oxide powder. And the other one is clove oil which in the dental world is called eugenol. And we just discussed that it's a natural anesthetic. And it is in all of these commercial preparations. You want to have um, maybe some uh, commercial-type substances, might be Cavit, Dentemp, Tempanol, things like that. It's also important to have some other items for pain if you don't have the clove oil and that would be maybe an aura gel or a hurricane. They have that in a gel. It contains benzocaine, and that is really good for pain also. You can also get something called dense toothache, toothache drops, which is another anesthetic. And there's one called Red Cross toothache medicine also. So those might be something to have for pain. They're all different versions of eugenol. Of eugenol. Sometimes mixed with benzocaine or something like that. Exactly, exactly. Well, the benzocaine ups it up a little bit. So what you would do with the zinc oxide powder is you'd mix a little bit of that powder with one or two drops of the clove oil, and it'll make like a paste. You want to turn it into like almost like a pea. Pea Pea-sized, make it a thick paste, and... That's what you'll be filling up the cavity with after you've cleaned it out. Of course, you're going to be following dental books or our instructions. Um, Oil of oregano is a natural antibacterial. You might want to have some of that on hand. A bulb syringe to blow air and dry the teeth before you put 
in the zinc oxide mixed with the clove right. oil. That's important. They need to be dry. Absolutely. Otherwise, it's not going to stick. <laughs> An irrigation syringe moving backwards, which is going to help you clean the area where the work's going to be done. You want some dental tweezers. You want to have dental mirrors because you need to look around and see what's going on. Dental scrapers and scalers help to get off plaque and probe areas to see where the pain is happening and uh, you know, help you make that decision on whether something really needs to be pulled out or not. A spoon excavator, this is a really um, unusual tool, and if you've, you've seen it, uh, it's like a teeny tiny little spoons on both sides. It's double-sided. And it's also good to, it, it's good to dig out some uh, soft necrotic, in other words, dead, dead material, right. decayed material. It's also good to uh, place the paste where, with the... Um, the clove oil and the zinc, zinc oxide, oxide. The P-shape. Right. And to put it on there and then use that to place it into the actual cavity. That way you know where you're going and you can actually, you know, pound it down a little bit before they bite down. Extraction forceps. Ouch. <laughs> These are like pliers. They have curved ends and they come in different shapes and it depends on uh, which area of the teeth you're pulling. So, for instance, a 151 is good for lower front teeth. A 150 is good for upper front teeth. A 23 is best for lower molars. Premolars. And your uh, 53R is the best for right upper molars. And the 53L is best for left upper molars. So there really are a lot of different instruments for different places in your mouth. And before you actually get to the extraction part, you have to loosen the teeth. Yowza. The teeth, have, the teeth are connected in the bony socket by periodontal ligaments. Ligaments just like you have ligaments that hold your knee together, you have ligaments that hold the tooth together. Absolutely. So you're going to need something called elevators. There's a couple sizes. You might consider a number 301 and or a 12B are both good choices. You might also consider, if you don't have those, using a Swiss Army knife. There you go. Oh, ouch. And you, some me, pain medicine. Right. Pain medicine, antibiotics are going to be important. All of these things are very, very useful to have in your dental storage. Yeah, and some examples of medicine might be penicillin, things like that. All right, that would be a common dental antibiotic. Absolutely. We are out of time for today. I want to thank you for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour. I am Joe Alton, MD. And I am Amy Alton. And we will be back next week with more survival medicine information. Take care, folks. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.